Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we ask you for clarity in the word. And tonight as we jump into the book of Revelation, that you would give us increased clarity on a difficult subject. That tonight you would allow our spirits to connect with what you've written and that something would click in us that would allow us to understand deep levels of revelation uh, in Jesus' name. Well, tonight is the book of Revelation and our session is entitled, Just and True Are His Ways. What we're going to look at tonight is a phrase that we first find in Revelation chapter 15, and it's a phrase that is repeated uh, a number of times in the book of Revelation, and uh, it's a phrase that if, it, if the phrase were in any other book of the Bible, we would just read over it and go, yeah, cool. But when it's in the book of Revelation, surrounded by the most intense judgments ever, it's one that we want to look at and seek to understand. Now, before we jump into explaining what just and true are your ways, O Lord, before we look at what that means and how that plays out in the, uh, the context of it in the book of Revelation, the first thing I want to start with is the justice ministry of Jesus. I just want to talk about the justice ministry of Jesus. You could talk about the healing ministry of Jesus. You could talk about the gospel ministry of Jesus. I mean, he's got a lot of ministries, right? Well, let's talk about the justice ministry of Jesus, the aspect of who Jesus is as a just judge, as one that brings justice, as one that fights for justice, as one that fights for the oppressed, fights for the wrong things to be made right, uh, for right things to be uh, uh, promoted. Jesus is all about justice. I'm going to give you now a bunch of verses that are about the justice ministry of Jesus that are in end times contexts. The reason I want to highlight that point, that these verses are in end times context, is because we, if anybody were to say, Jesus is just, he's a just judge, he loves justice, I don't think anybody would argue with those statements. What we want to do is we want to be able to say it with confidence and stomach it and believe it and not have any accusation in our heart when that same terminology of Jesus being all about justice is in the context of the end times. So that's where we want to, we want to be thinking about this tonight. And so what we're going to do is just in this opening section... We're going to look at the justice ministry of Jesus that is coming, that is promised, uh, that it's on its way. So first I've got Matthew 12, verse 18. He is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now, just so you know, the fullness of Jesus proclaiming justice to the nations, that's a layered prophecy for Jesus to proclaim justice to the nations. Because in the natural, that has not happened yet. Now, part of the way that it goes forth is through the church. You know, I mean, here we are all the way over in America. This was, you know, this verse when it was said aloud and what was being pr uh, prophesied about Jesus was happening over in Israel. So the fact that it made it here, that's part of the way that it goes out. 
Part of the way that it goes out, though, if you guys remember, uh, a few uh, sessions ago, we were talking about those three angels that appear in the sky and they are proclaiming. Well, part of what's happening in their proclamation is the proclaiming of Jesus' justice to the earth. Part of the proclamation of Jesus' justice being proclaimed to the nations, all of them, is remember when we were looking in uh, Revelation chapter 6 at the scroll, the heavens being rolled back like a scroll and that uh, equaling a an open vision into heaven and, and the people of earth are being able to perceive what's happening in heaven. We looked at that when we were looking at Revelation chapter 6 and the seals. That's another way. But ultimately, the way Jesus is going to proclaim justice to the nations ultimately is when he comes and he establishes justice and then in the next age, every nation will be under his complete rule. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. So actually, in its fullest uh, uh, terms, that uh, statement, that verse in Matthew chapter 12, is actually an end times passage related to Jesus proclaiming justice all throughout the earth. Well... Why does that matter? He's going to proclaim it. It, It's part of the ministry of Jesus to proclaim justice. It's part of his desire to get the word out about what justice is, what right is, what wrong is. One of the things we've been talking about a lot in this series is we're entering into an hour where the world will call evil good and will call good evil. Well, Jesus is into the proclamation of right, true, just, and good. And he is going to be proclaiming justice in the last days. Next, before he comes and brings his final justice, he's all about mercy. He's all about mercy. Look at this verse in Matthew 12, 20. It's the next uh, verse or two verses after the one we just looked at. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till. Now this means there's a transition moment about to, we're about to we're gonna read some that's like Jesus is going to be very careful with bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Smoldering wicks that that person whose life in God, it's like just barely it's about to go out. That bruised reed, that one that's so wounded and hurt, man. If they put if any more pressure is put on them, they're just gonna break. He's gonna be very careful. It's the mercy ministry of Jesus. Till till he has brought justice through to victory. There is a time coming where Jesus is not going to be primarily operating in mercy. There is a season coming. I mean, it's a crazy thought to accuse Jesus of not mercy when for hundreds of thousands of days, or I haven't really done the math, but however many days there have been in human history, mercy, 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 and then finally justice. And on that day, he is bringing about justice in, in all the ways to all the people that have been experiencing the abundance of his mercy. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of justice. Part of his ministry of, of uh, mercy is that he is going to bring about justice. All right, bring justice to those who cry out. Luke 18, uh, verse 7 and verse 8. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Well, if you go to the next verse, Luke 18, 8, top of page 2. 
If you want to get a little bit of context of what we're talking about here, when this says Jesus is going to bring justice to those who cry out day and night, cry out day and night, like Leviticus 6.13 on the wall, the fire on the altar must be kept going continually. It must not go out day and night and night and day, 365, year after year, decade after decade. The idea of night and day prayer, the promise is that Jesus will respond, the Father will respond to night and day prayer and worship. And it says this, He will see to it that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is actually linking this to help us to understand that this has got an end time context. This is Jesus promising to bring about speedy justice before he comes in relationship to night and day outcries. Night and day outcries. So this is part of the ministry of Jesus. The justice ministry of Jesus in the last days is that there is going to be houses of prayer and ministries that call themselves whatever. The title isn't important. The reality is important. That are ministering to God night and day. That are crying out to him night and day. He says they will get justice. Jesus will bring about justice to the ministries and the people and the groups and the churches and the cities that are crying out night and day. It's an end times promise. It's part of the justice ministry of Jesus. And it's actually related very much to our calling here at this house. All right. What about uh, him bringing, uh, him judging with justice? You know, if you are ever brought to court, you hope that that judge is a, uh, is a righteous person that cares about true and right and good. It is a horrific thing to be put before an unjust judge. Okay? Well, we can trust his, judge, uh, his justice and that he is a righteous judge. Look at this. Acts 17.31, speaking about Jesus. For he has set a day when he will judge the world. How will he judge it? With justice. By whom? By the man he has appointed. This is God promising to use Jesus to bring about justice. Furthermore, there's a day appointed. But when he comes to judge, he will judge with justice. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is the ministry of Jesus. The end time ministry of Jesus will be as a righteous judge. Then, after he's in place, he will rule the nations with justice. Some uh, throughout history, when you think about a a leader over an empire, over a nation or a dynasty, and you think about their scepter, you think about what it is that they hold in their hand, their their king stick, you know, that, that scepter, and some of them, they would rule with an iron fist. Some of them would rule with, you know, a, a very um, oppressive way. Some of them would rule, and the, mark, the main mark of their uh, leadership might even be the arts or, or might be, uh, you know, certain social uh, issues. There's a lot of ways that a, a leader, a monarch, can rule a kingdom. Look what it says about Jesus and his coming leadership in the millennium and beyond. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus is coming back to rule with justice. But look at this, Revelation 19, verse 11. When he shows up in the sky, 
when we've when we've uh, we've exceeded the days, and now it is the day of judgment, the day of justice. Look what it says he's going to do with justice. This is a crazy idea. It says this, Revelation 19.11, and the picture, if you can't, uh, if you don't know Revelation 19 very well, the picture here is Jesus coming back on a white horse. He pulls the sword out of his mouth. He's got the armies of heaven behind him. That's the picture. Revelation 19, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. With justice, he judges and wages war. A just war. Jesus wages a war according to his justice. I just want us to see this. I want us to kind of get in the the mindset that the end time ministry of Jesus, in addition to a hundred other things, the end time ministry of Jesus is a justice ministry. Intense. All right. Well, let's, let's look at this because there's this term, just and true are your ways, O Lord, that we're going to look at and we're going to find it multiple times in the book of Revelation. But before we look at the context of those, because I'm, I'm going to go a different direction when we get there, before we look at the context of each of those and who's saying it, what all that's about, I want us to understand what are we referring to when the book of Revelation says, just are your ways, true are your ways. What's a way? It's actually not talking about like the Sermon on the Mount. That in a secondary way, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament is a secondary way. That, you know, the, the principles throughout the word in a secondary way. But mostly, if somebody walks in and, you know, and they just did something, and now you go, man, this guy is great. He's so awesome. You're mostly referring to the thing he just did. That's mostly what you're talking about. And the context of what we're referring to as just and true, the ways of Jesus, let me just give you some examples about what is being spoken of as just and true. Say it a different way. What heaven is saying, this was a really good idea, let's do it again. Okay? What are we talking about? First, the seals, trumpets, and bowls of wrath. I just gave you one of them because I didn't want to overwhelm us. Revelation 8, 7, there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up and a third of the green grass was burned up. Just and true are your ways, O God. That's what we're talking about. Oh my gosh. It was easier to say just and true are your ways when you were like healing the, the guy who couldn't get up for all those years. Just and true, but you just made everything turn into blood and burn. Just and true your ways, oh Lord. Earthquakes. Revelation is full of earthquakes. Let me read you one of them. Revelation 11, 13, top of page 3. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Just and true your ways, oh God. See this term. It's in the context of the end time judgments. It's not outside of that context. It's straight up in the middle of it, referring to it directly. How about the global war? Remember, Jesus is the one that opens the seals. And the seals start the the great world war that's gonna happen under the leadership of Antichrist as he tries to take over the planet. I mean, this is really intense. Look at Revelation 6, 3 through 4. When the lamb opened the second seal, another horse came out. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. 
That's the biggest war, the craziest war, the most peaceless the planet has ever been. And Jesus is the one that opens the seal. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. Oh, this is getting hard to say. How about when he comes back with a sword? Revelation 19, 11 through 15, we just looked at part of it. I saw heaven standing open there before me was a white horse whose rider was called faithful and true. It's Jesus. With justice, he judges and makes war. The armies of heaven were following him, and out of his mouth is a sharp sword. Why is he out a sharp sword? It's, a, it's like symbolic, right? With which to strike down the nations. Oops, not symbolic. And furthermore, if you were wondering, well, surely he doesn't use the sword and like actually kill people. It says he's got blood all over him. How many times do we think of Jesus covered in human blood? Just and true are your ways, O oh Lord. Something like 75% of the human race dies in the judgments. I gave you three. I won't look at it now. We've done it else other times. My point here in this section wasn't to prove these points. We've done that at other times. It was to reference them. Jesus responsible for the death of 75% of the human population in a very short period of time. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. Now we have a little bit of a problem because this is going to get really intense. We need a right assessment of his judgments. You know, we need to remember Revelation, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 8, top of page 4. Daniel 8, 23 through 25. This is a verse we've been looking at a little bit lately. I just thought it was one more chance for us to drive home Daniel 8 to get our heads around it a little bit. When Jesus is doing all this just and true, remember the verse we read a minute ago that God has a day appointed for Jesus' judgment to come with justice? There's a day appointed. It's not some random day. It's not some day in history. It's an appointed day that is going to be at the tail end of the most wicked generation that has ever lived. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, the latter part of their reign when rebels have become completely wicked, a, a fierce-looking king a master of intrigue will arise. And he, this is the Antichrist, will be very strong, but not of his own power. He's anointed by Satan. He will cause astounding devastation, and he will succeed at whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. He even calls himself God. When Jesus' day of justice comes... It's a day that actually is highly escalated from where today looks, from where culture is now, from what's going on right now. A time period where it says when rebels have reached the totality of wickedness, they have become completely wicked, then that generation will usher in the rise of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will then even make things worse. That's the generation that Jesus is coming back to. That's the generation that just and true are your ways, O Lord, and all the judgments that's falling on that generation. The generation that is the most wicked and deprived of all generations. Now, with that said, I'd never seen this before. Every occasion where Jesus' judgments are being called just in the book of Revelation, every occasion is a different voice. Every time it's said, it's a different uh, group of people or person or source saying it. So when we look at all the passages together, we actually get to see the whole council 
of heaven and even of earth that's testifying to the justice of Jesus in relationship to his judgments. Say that one more time. Every time you find the term just or true, just and true your ways or a phrase very similar to that one in the book of Revelation, it's a different person saying it or a different group saying it. So what we're going to do here is I'm just going to read you the, the most basic of each of these occasions in the book of Revelation when it shows up and tell you who it is. First, it's the martyrs of the great tribulation. They say it. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image, but here they are in heaven. And if they were victorious over the beast, that means they had to be alive when the beast was alive, which means they died during the great tribulation because there they are in heaven. The martyrs of the tribulation say just and true are your ways. And you just got to figure if anybody gets to say it, it's them. Next group, one of the judgment angels you know, there's seven angels that stand before the throne. They're the seven that get the trumpets. They're the seven that get the bulls of wrath. These seven in the book of Revelation, and not only, but in the book of Revelation, they are agents of God's wrath. One of them in the middle of the judgments, he turns to the Lord. I'm giving you just a little bit of a, you know, a poetic uh, licensing here. He turns to the Lord and says, mm, that was good. He goes, just and true. He just poured out this horrendous judgment. And the angel that poured it out now testifies about Jesus. He says, this second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. It turned to blood. Third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water. And they became blood. And then I heard the angel that was in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one. You are just in turning all the water to blood. That was a right decision. Oh my gosh, it's so intense. Next group, the martyrs of history. So not the martyrs of, of uh, the tribulation. Every martyr of history, Stephen, and, and, and any martyr that maybe you've even heard of or known or, or that you've read about in history or, or that will die of martyrdom before the tribulation. All the martyrs of history are in a category. We see them in Revelation chapter 6 when we see the souls of the martyrs that are at the altar. They're under the altar and they're crying out to God, Lord, how long does this have to go? And the answer that God gives them is there's going to actually be a whole lot more martyrs. And until the total number of martyrs has been met, this has to continue on. The trials of the great tribulation and the persecution and the martyrdom. But look here, Revelation 16 verse 7 says, I heard the altar respond. Well, this isn't, the altar isn't talking. It's those that are representative of the altar. It's those that are under the altar. It's those that are about the altar and the ministry of the altar and the work of the altar. And the reference is back to Revelation chapter 6 where we read the martyrs under the altar are proclaiming the Lord. They're, they're proclaiming you know, the, uh, the, the death and, and they're saying, God, how long until we get justice? This is the group that's now crying out here in Revelation chapter 17 verse 6. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord Almighty. True and just are your judgments. See, it's now the, the answer to the, uh, the martyrs that were crying out in Revelation chapter 6. How long does this go on? Well, now the judgments are coming. And they're coming against those that brought martyrdom. And those that have been martyred you know, throughout history, they say, okay, we see it now. Just are you in these judgments. This is part of the right answer to our outcry in Revelation chapter 6 when we said, how long does this have to go on? This is right. We're in agreement. How about the redeemed of history? All the redeemed of history. So that's those that, you know, would probably include the martyrs of history. But there were a lot of people that died in Jesus that weren't martyred. I mean, lots and lots and lots of people. 
Uh, and, you know, I can think of a bunch of them that I know that are there now that are part of the great cloud of witnesses that weren't martyred, but they get a vote. Look at this. Revelation 19, 1 through 2. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. And they cry out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. When you look at the, uh, the context of what's happening here, Revelation chapter 19, 1 through 2, that's the verse that we just read, this comes immediately after the harlot Babylon was judged. Now, the why, why am I bringing that point up? The harlot Babylon is judged at the beginning of the great tribulation period. Okay, that's when the harlot Babylon is judged and that's when the Antichrist takes over. So for this group of people to be in heaven at the start of the great tribulation, and it's a great multitude, it's the multitude of the saints that have died and they're with the Lord now before the great tribulation starts. It's a great multitude. So I'm assuming that's including those martyrs that we were just reading about, but it's now everybody. It's not just the martyrs. Now it's the great multitude and they're crying out, just and true are your judgments, O Lord. Finally, John gets to weigh in. So you've now got the apostle John. He's been reading all, you know, having all these experiences, hearing all these different perspectives. Now, John, when he writes this and when he gives this perspective, he's on the earth. I mean, as far as he's still alive, he's, he's an earthly man. He doesn't have a resurrected body. That doesn't come until, you know, later on uh, the resurrection. He, he's not in heaven. He hasn't died yet. He's alive. He's a 90 year old dude alive on the planet with a perspective that would be very similar to yours and mine. He's a human on earth. That's different than all these other testimonies. We got an angel in heaven. We got the multitude in heaven. We got the martyrs in heaven. This guy is a guy on the earth. Look what the guy on the earth, as he just assessed the book of Revelation, he's seen it all. He's processing it. He says, these are his words now. These aren't an angel told him to write this. This isn't him quoting somebody. These are the words of John as he's assessing the situation. He says this, with justice, he judges and makes war. Those are the words of John. This is John's assessment of the situation. He says, Jesus is coming with a sword out of his mouth. With justice, he judges and makes war. This is Jesus bringing the judgments. And, Jesus, and John is saying, this is just, this is right, this is true. This is now the testimony of a man on earth. See, every chance that we see the subject matter of the justice of God related to his judgments, it's a different voice that's saying it. And all of them are saying the same thing. It's right. It's right. It's right. Well, let's try to set the record straight for us. Establishing our foundation about his nature, about his leadership, about his kingdom, about, about what is true, what's true every single day, no matter the season of time. We believe Jesus is just. The Bible says it. He is just. We believe that he is truthful and everything about him is true. We believe that he is perfect. We believe that his justice is also perfect. We believe that his judgments are well thought through. It's not like he just got in a bad mood and started doing crazy stuff. You got bipolar Jesus. You know, it's not like that. He's, he is calculated. This is a, a man who's been very calculated. His judgments are well thought through. And we believe that his ways are always right and good. Now, if we believe these things about him, and again, I think if you would have been asked any of the questions, do you believe Jesus is just? Do you believe? I think before this teaching, no one would have had any question in their heart about how we felt about those things. 
These things are no less true just because we've done a study of Jesus' justice in the end times. These are no less true. These are facts about who he is. We need to get plumb-lined to what the word of God says about Jesus so that we see things rightly. Also, in addition to his nature, his timing is right. I'm so thankful for the timing of the Lord. I always want to do the thing at the wrong time. The right thing at the wrong time, the wrong thing at the wrong time. I always want to do the thing at the wrong time. And you're the same as me. You're impatient. We always want to do the thing now. And Jesus is like, I'm so smart. I'm not going to let you do it right now. You'd hurt yourself. You know, it's like, you know, giving a Bic lighter to a two-year-old. Bad idea. Bad idea. It's the wrong time. Let's let that two-year-old become at least 12, and then we'll talk about it. Okay? It's the right thing at the wrong time. It's the wrong thing, but his timing is always right. Look at this. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All of the timing of the Lord, all of it for everything, it's perfect. We trust his timing. So we even trust the timing of these judgments. We even, we even trust the unprecedentedness of these judgments. We're going from never seen it happen, never seen it happen, never seen it happen. Boom, it all happens in one generation in a very short period of time. It seems almost like, God, is your timing a little off there? Shouldn't you have kind of like eased everybody in a little bit? He goes, well, yeah, that's what the signs of the times were for. They, they were the duck, heads up, look, it's coming moment. You're supposed to be paying attention to those signs so you can see. Much worse stuff is coming right around the corner. But his timing is perfect. His ways are not too severe. Look at the top of page six. We're wrapping up here and then we'll get into groups. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving of sin and rebellion. Okay, that's good. I like all that. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Oh, they're operating at the same time? <laughs> like he's, he's kind and nice and slow to anger and abounding in love? Yeah. But he also doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And we're talking about the most guilty generation that has ever existed. His judgments are not too severe. His judgments are actually 100% appropriate to what's happening. They're not severe. It's actually, oh, well, if you do a level one bad thing, you get a level one consequence. Well, if you do a level one billion bad thing, all I got left is the bowls of wrath. Sorry. <laughs> See, the judgments, they're not too severe. They're actually completely appropriate with justice. He's holy and righteous. We know that he's faithful always to do good. He's the perfect judge. Oh, just so grateful that about his character, about his nature, we can trust he is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. He is a perfect judge who gives the perfect sentence, who gives the perfect, perfect assessment, verdict, sentencing, judgment. It's perfect. He is perfect perfect in all of his ways including as he sits as the on the seat of judgment as the judge over the earth well what do we do with this information let's process these difficult truths a little bit one of the big reasons that we need to talk about this and it's kind of like a super no fun subject it kind of brings up all sorts of questions and insecurities and anger. <laughs> we start to talk about this, and especially if you start to talk about this and you start picturing people. 
You know, if it's just an idea, if it's just a movie, it's not real. But when you start putting this into context and you go, so the person that decides to take the mark of the beast because they were really struggling to feed their family, but now they take the mark of the beast in order to be able to feed their family, and now they're worshiping the Antichrist, God is going to bring down blood, hail, fire, and, every, and the sword, and that's justice. Yeah, it is. Picture the sweet single mom. See, it's not the bad guy that looks like Igor who wants to punch you. It's a, picture, picture a human. See, that's where this starts to get tricky. And here's what Jesus said, and we must take note of it. We must take note of it. Matthew 11, verse 6. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You don't like what I have to say? You don't like my judgments? You don't like my plan? You don't like my severity? You don't like what I'm about? You want to go on a journey. Blessed are you who are not offended on account of me. Not offended about what I say, what I do, what I like, the way I run my kingdom, about my slowness, as some of you consider slowness. He says, you need to really focus on this issue of offense. Jesus said some hard stuff, even in his ministry. We got to be careful that we don't do like a big group did. This didn't just happen once. This was a picture of the ministry of Jesus, and even to this day. Look at John 6, 60 through 69. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. By the way, he just told them to become cannibals. He said, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. So he just got done saying. And they go, ooh, this, this is a hard teaching you're saying. That's, that's some hard words to swallow. Who can accept this? And Jesus said to them, does this offend you? See, it's the subject of offense. It goes right back to that verse we just read. The stuff Jesus says, thinks, wants, and believes. Does this offend you? You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked. And Peter answered. Every time I, I read this, I just imagine Peter like shaking his head at Jesus more than he's saying words. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> to whom shall we go? <laughs> You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. But we really don't like it when you say that stuff. <laughs> Quit it. Man, that guy owned the hotel. We were going to get free housing tonight. You just chased him. Mm. We need to get on board with the teachings of Jesus that are hard. The ones that are hard to swallow, like just in truer ways. And we need to recognize that right now, we see with limited perspective. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We see now only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, when Jesus comes and we're with him, and we've got a resurrected body and a resurrected mind, then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. We need to recognize we're only operating with a portion of the story that we understand. We need to be asking God for increased measure of revelation, and we need to trust him for what we don't understand. I mean, that's Christianity. That's what faith is. Faith is believing what we cannot see. <laughs> it is believing that what we hope for is actually a reality. And that God is watching and seeing us. We're going to need that in these coming days. We need a renewed mind. 
Let me tell you this. Your offense doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from our lack of understanding of the Bible. That's where the offense comes from. Your offense comes from the same place mine does. You're a carnal human. It doesn't come from your theological understanding of the Bible. That's not where the arguments come from. The arguments come from, I don't like that. I don't want that. That's not comfortable. That's going to hurt people I care about. What if I don't want that to hurt me? It, it's all self-preservation and preservation of those we know and love and care about. And that's understandable, but we cannot let that trump our theology. We cannot let that drive our understanding. We need to conform no longer to the pattern of this world. We need to conform to the Bible. The Bible says this, therefore, it's right, and I'm an idiot. The Bible says this, therefore, it's right, and I'm a sinner. The Bible says this, therefore, it's right, and my culture has lost its mind. Let every man be a liar, and God be true. The word of God is our plumb line. This is where we get it all figured out. So it's important that we struggle to, through these things and we come to terms. So what you're going to do now is you're going to break up into groups, and you're going to talk about all this mess. Amen. So what's a practical way to apply truth through the lens of faith? That's a great question. Um, you know, it's the kindness of the Lord to allow us to experience lesser great tribulations, <laughs> lesser problems, small problems, light and momentary afflictions not even worth mentioning. But they're actually tests. Don't fail them. Stop failing the tests. <laughs> like, start responding rightly with your current circumstances. The current pressures, the current difficulties, the current trials, the current disappointments. Start responding well with them. And here's what it looks like. You know, I, I believe I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Your circumstances are difficult, but you go, no, the Bible says, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Meaning... I'm not going to die before something good happens. I'm going to see God do good stuff. I'm going to see God show himself strong on my behalf in my life. You're in, a, you're in one of those seasons where the volume's all the way down. The Lord is being really quiet, and he's doing it on purpose. You're quoting the scripture and say, his sheep, hear his voice. I'm a sheep. I love him. I'm going to hear him speak. He's going to speak to me. You're, you're applying the word, though it's completely opposite from your experience. The way that we're going to get to be the church that's able to respond at the end of the age is that we practice that muscle. We have been looking at our circumstances and we've been shaking our circumstances hand and saying, hello, my name is Brad and you're a giant liar. The Bible says this, so that's true. See, the problem, the reason anybody gets offended or the reason anybody walks away from the Lord or the reason anybody just is living in some really dismal uh, uh, outlook on life is because they've believed lies. And the lies, unfortunately, come powerfully. And a lot of times the lies are backed up with circumstantial proof that the lie is true. But the lie is always an accusation against what God has said, the, you know, the word of God against his nature, against his character. And the plumb line of the word is supposed to keep us steady so that we go, we're on the boat with Jesus when he's taking a nap in that storm. And instead of being one of the guys that runs down into the hall and goes, what are you doing? We're all going to die. We just go curl up next to him and take a nap. Like, okay, well, I mean, if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. You're probably not going to die. You're the son of God. So... 
I guess we're going to be okay today. I don't get it. I mean, it looks for sure like we're all going to die, but you're asleep. So I'm going to take a nap. And it, so the, the practical expression of, you know, what do we do in all this is we start applying the truths of the Bible that look totally opposite from our circumstance. The Bible is true. Your circumstance is lying. And we've got to start stretching that muscle where we believe in faith what the word says is accurate and something's wrong with my perspective, something's wrong with my understanding, something's wrong with the world around me, but it's not God or the Bible. And so we've got to start stretching that muscle and all of us have got ways we can do that tomorrow that we kind of didn't do so good today. We've all got ways we can do that. That's the practical preparation is we start stretching that. So great question. Uh, okay, let's come back here. Luke Fredberg. How do we work through offense when we're offended with God? <laughs> when we're offended with his leadership, the way, his ways, where we read Justin True your ways and you're like, I'm going to say it, but I don't really believe what I'm saying right now. How do we work through that? Lots of dialogue with God. You know, the greatest thing in this whole... Uh, experiment called life is you get a a you did good or you did bad on the test related to the greatest commandment not actually related primarily to your ministry assignment or related to how nice you were or how related to whatever your primary assessment of whether you did good as a human or did bad as a human is did you do the greatest commandment love God with all your heart soul mind and strength why do I bring that in because if we're good at communicating with God all the time, talking to him, working through stuff, dialoguing, figuring our way out with him, if we talk to God more than we talk to people, we're going to be fine. And so the problem is we all talk to people too much. And we get people's opinions and people's thoughts. And then our prayer life is like really, really small and shriveled. So when it then comes to offense... And we're really offended. We're offended with God. We do the same thing that we do when we're offended with humans. We go gossip. And we go talk about the one we're offended with. Well, that's sin. Like, that's not right. So when we're offended with someone, Matthew 18 tells us what to do. When you're offended with your brother, go to them and say, I'm offended with you. And give them the opportunity to talk through their side of the story. And then you come to realize, oh, you know, I had some of those details wrong. So when we're offended with God, we need to do a lot of talking to the one we're offended with. We take the word and we say, Lord, your Bible says you're just and true. I'm not seeing that right now. Will you help me? See, we got to remember, he is also a tender father that wants to help his little child understand life so the little child can do right. So the little child can survive and thrive. So we're not full adults in the spirit. We're little kids. And the Lord's willing to help us, but... I can't help my kids when they don't tell me what's going on. I, when there's stuff going on in their life and I don't know about it, I, I cannot interact with that. I can't help. When we're offended with God or offended with his ways or offended with his word or offended with a circumstance or if any of you lost someone to COVID and like, and that's like, how, did, how could the, you need to talk to God? Lots and lots and lots of talking to God. That's the answer related to offense. And truly, it's the same answer if you're offended with a human. If you just talk to God a bunch, you'll be far less offended with a human. The problem is when we're offended, we start mouthing off. We start talking to people. 
And we start venting and venom and poison. And we bring disunity to the body of Christ. And we, we malign the Lord's children when we speak ill of other people. And God's like, I just wanted you to talk to me and then go talk to them and stop talking to people about them. Just stop. And so anyway, there's a little lesson on offense. Uh, great question, Luke Cooper. So in relationship to uh, Jesus doling out his justice, the end time drama is drawn out. It takes, you know, seven years of tribulation, three and a half, the final three and a half, really intense. Jesus comes back, war, all this stuff. After the millennium though, there's like as big of a rebellion or bigger that happens. And if you're not familiar with that, it's at Revelation 20. It says that the number of those, after Jesus has been ruling and reigning for a thousand years, the number of those that rebel against God team up with Satan that just got released from prison who had been in prison for the full thousand years. Now there's all these people. Why in that moment does uh, Jesus choose to do a swift moment of justice and it says that fire you know just comes out and consumes all the enemies of God and there's no drawn out you know the seals trumpets and bowls and the this and the war and all you know why is that quick I, I think it actually once again is proportionate to how big the issue of the sin is so like we said the seals trumpets and bowls are appropriate because of the level of wickedness in the generation that the seals trumpets and bowls are poured out on if after a thousand years of jesus's perfect leadership on the planet he's been leading in the flesh everybody has to go to jerusalem once a year for the feast of, Tra of tabernacles i mean if after the whole thousand years of perfect discipleship perfect and everybody's been saying hey there's 15 days left before satan gets out of prison nobody be deceived there's 14 days left. He's coming out of prison tomorrow. Nobody follow him. If after that, like the number of the uh, sand on the seashore, that many people follow Satan, it's swift justice. It's immediate. There's, there's, we're not even going to talk about this anymore. It's just, it's over in one second. We're done. Let's move on. And at the level of, of, uh, of swiftness of justice, I think, is proportionate to the level of sin and depravity marked with the level of understanding that the people had. People in the next age will have way more clarity about right and true and God and good and evil than people in this age do. That verse we read earlier about we see dimly as in a mirror, it gets a lot less dim for the next age. And yet there will still be a great rebellion. Okay, final question over here. And worship leader, you can come on up. Yeah. So we're all really offended right now. What do we do? How do we prepare for when there's really real reasons to be offended, uh, you know, in the coming judgments? Um, you know, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And that's part of the reason I was trying to get us thinking about our current pressures and circumstances earlier. Because if we're not handling our current pressures very well right now, we don't need to look at that and go, I'm going to die and go to hell. We need to look at that and go, I might. <laughs> like... Like, I need to do something about this. I need to not stay on this trajectory uh, of staying offended and dealing with things poorly. Like, Lord, help me. He loves to help us. And so being in the journey of God help me to deal with my current offenses is actually how we know we'll be able to handle future offenses better. Dealing poorly with offenses now is what the entire planet is doing. 
So when the judgments of God come, of course they're going to curse God and say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, and we refuse to worship Him. They says they refuse to repent. Of course they are, because they're not dealing with their offenses and their issues now. So the way that we prepare for bigger is we do well with small. And, and similarly... There are moments that surprise you where you find yourself where you've actually been working the fruit of the Spirit in secret. You've been doing stuff. And then you find yourself in a moment where you get pressed and all of a sudden good goo comes out. Holy Spirit, you know, uh, fruit of the Spirit juice comes out instead of fruit of the flesh juice. And you go, oh, oh, I did it. I did it. How did I do it? I must have handled that situation so well. No, you probably actually have a secret life in God that prepared you for that moment. And yes, you had to operate in some fruit of the spirit in that moment, but a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So let's just commit ourselves to be good trees and in the process of letting the roots go down deep and and nourish on the word of God and on righteousness and forgiveness. And then as the days get more difficult, thank you, Lord, we were able to participate in the experiment that just happened on the planet and see how our hearts fared. And thank you, Lord, we're gonna get more opportunities like it and worse before we even face these judgments in order to prepare us, see what's in there. Does, does self-defense come out or is it humility and love and trust? And God is still God, God is still real. He's still real, he didn't disappear. COVID-19 did not make God disappear for a minute. He's still real. Like, where are we at on the inside and that traffic? So that's uh, what we wanna to learn to navigate. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.